Um, man, I'm excited. I, I'm excited, and please don't, please don't uh, let where I'm going to go with this message uh, make you think that I'm excited because I'm, I'm injuring you somehow. Uh, but I'm excited because God gave me this sermon series. If you were here last fall, I did a sermon series called Ghost Stories. And, and I feel as intense about this sermon series that we're starting this morning as I did about that. Because I honestly believe that this is the help that some of you need. That these sermons, and I'm still writing them, I'm still planning them, I'm still structuring them, but these sermons are going to be something, because it's going to cover a lot of ground, it's, we're going to talk about the world and, and the warning signs here in the world, we're going to talk about a lot of warning signs in your life that uh, are very obvious and some of us are overlooking. So that's where we're going to begin this morning, my sermon text, and I'm going to use primarily two texts back and forth over and over again, and this is surely going to be one of them. 2 Timothy chapter 3 is where I'm going to begin this sermon series, and we will surely come back to it as we start talking about things of the world uh, later in this series. I'm going to really break this text down several different ways, but I felt like this was a great place for us to begin uh, our series called Warning Signs. Now, now this morning's message is not, the title of this morning's message is not going to make any sense until the very end. Ain't that just like a preacher? Like, like it's not going to make any sense at all. You're going to be thinking, he has surely lost his mind. And that may, may very well be true, but not because of the sermon title. My sermon title this morning is, Low Fences Let Lions Loose. Low Fences Let Lions Loose. That's my sermon text this morning, uh, or um, my title this morning, but it won't make a lick of sense, as I, I used to say back in the old days when I was a southerner. It won't make a lick of sense. Jenny's the only person in this room that knew what I was talking about when I said that. Uh, <laughs> and my wife, my wife, my well, and oh yeah, I forgot. She's from Oceana, and uh, <laughs> but we uh, it, it, it won't make any sense until the end, so just put that in your pocket and just pay attention to what we... I'm trying to give an introduction, and this could be a long introduction to a long series, okay? Uh, let's, let's start by saying, if the person that is sitting next to you suddenly looked over and said, my left arm is tingling and my chest is tight, what would you say? Heart attack, because those things are a sign of a heart attack. Hello? Uh, 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 the left arm tingling and tightness in the chest is a sign something's not right. Now, growing up in the country like I did, uh, farmers, especially the old-fashioned ones like the ones that raised me, uh, they, they learned, they didn't have internet back then. They didn't even have a set of Encyclopedia Britannicas. They had something called the Farmer's Almanac, that often taught them to read things called signs. Are you with me? You're tracking me. Uh, a, a young woman that just recently got married, uh, all of a sudden she starts craving a different kind of food, and all the old ladies would say, that's a sign, right? That's, that's, you might need to take a test because that's, that's a sign. Uh, when I was a kid and I would go playing in the woods, which was the sport that we was involved in when we were kids, uh, go play in the woods, go outside, and don't you come back. 
uh, until, the, until it's dark out, you come back then. We'd go play in the woods, and Grandpa always told us, if you're up in the woods and the leaves turn upside down, you better head to the house or to the barn. Why? Because that's a, that's a sign of rain. Amen? So, so, so you, you're familiar with trying to read signs. Some of them that you may not be familiar with, because I was so country, uh, we would look at the height of the bees' nests in the summertime. Because uh, the old-timers had a saying, and it was, see how high the hornet's nest, that's how high the snow will rest. So if a hornet was, ra- was put in their nest real high, uh, the old-timers believed that that was a sign that the snow was going to be real bad. We even checked the thickness of corn husks. Uh, if the corn uh, had a particularly thick husk, the old-timers believed that that was a sign that we were going to end for a bad winter. And in the summertime, as the sun was setting, they would count the rings around the sun that appeared in the sky. Now, I'm not telling you any of this is accurate. I'm just telling you that when we would count the number of rings around the setting sun in the summertime, the old-timers believed that the number of rings indicated the number of snowfalls we were in for. And they thought that that was a sign. How how about this caterpillar? Does anybody recognize this? Okay, now, I don't know where, what you call them, but where I come from, they're called woolly worms. And, and here's the thing about woolly worms. Sometimes they look like this, and sometimes they're more black, and sometimes they're completely black. Now, the old-timers believed that when you saw completely black ones, that was a sign of a bad winter. Are you catching my drift? All of these things are signs that we are conditioned to look out for because we believe that that sign predicts things to come. You're looking for things. You're looking for an influence. You're looking for information. You're trying to absorb something in your surroundings today that is going to help you predict what is to come. We would all love to say we are so full of faith that we just walk by faith and not by sight and we don't care what tomorrow brings, but you would be a liar. We would love to know what's going to happen tomorrow. We would love to know how this decision is going to turn out. We would give anything for us to know how, how long do I have on this earth or how long does mom have or how long is this going to last or how long am I going to have to work before I retire. We would all love to know and be able to predict the future. And that's why most of us look for signs. And, and this morning we're going to open uh, this series of messages and we're going to take a look at some warning signs that Paul told Timothy that the last days was going to look like. And one thing I notice more and more as I get older is there is a difference in our generations. Has anybody else noticed this? And I'm not just, listen, I know I sound like the old cranky get off my lawn guy. I'm not. But there is a vast difference in the way most of us was raised and the way these kids today act and behave. They're like, it's, it's as if I transferred to another planet. Like, everything that was normal isn't normal anymore. Everything that us kids wanted to do at 15, 16, 17, these kids don't got no interest in it, and I don't understand them. I feel like I'm speaking a foreign language when I talk to my Hannah. And when I talk to these kids out here in the hallway, I don't understand. They don't have drive to get driver's licenses, and they're not, they're not really uh, into things that it made sense to all of us. Uh, well, if you start reading the Bible, you'll find out that 
those things are a sign that we are in the last days. Now, some of you, when you were growing up, Lord, help me, Jesus. I'm going to say this as diplomatically as I can. I'm going to tread lightly. Some of you are my elders. I respect you as such. And as you are an elder of mine, you grew up watching television programs in the 50s and the 60s. You saw programs like Leave it to Beaver. You saw programs like Father Knows Best. And you saw, you saw, you saw things on television like Gilligan's Island or Brady Bunch, right? You grew up watching those in syndication. Now, my generation, we watched those as reruns. But we still watched them. It was after school. And, it, and, and we would come home from school and, or before school. And those same programs with those same messages was being dis- instilled into my generation. Are you tracking me? The generations today are not watching that. And what they're watching is not giving them the same instruction that what you and I got. When, when you watch those shows, and they were not perfect, and let's be honest, the church railed against them. It was worldly. You look at it now, and you're like, that is the tamest thing I've seen on TV in a long time. But back then, the church railed against that stuff. That's worldliness, and you shouldn't be watching that stuff. But let's be honest. They usually had some sort of a message like, do the right thing. Treat each other kindly. Uh, that in the end, family matters. Those were the kind of messages that was given to us through those programs. But kids aren't watching that stuff anymore. The the things that they are watching now is giving them an entirely different message. Now here in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul is writing a letter to his spiritual son, Timothy. Timothy is a young pastor of the church at Ephesus. He's been the pastor there for about four years when Paul writes this letter. Now, The reason I tell you that is because Paul is in prison. Paul's not the pastor of this church. He's writing this letter to his spiritual son who is pastoring a group that is older than him, another generation ahead of him. And in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, here's what he says. You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. King James uses a phrase there called perilous. There'll be perilous times. For people will love only themselves and their money. Mm. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. Anybody recognize the world that you're living in currently? They will consider nothing sacred. Nothing. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. There will be a sermon in this series just just on that scripture alone. Hating what is good. They will betray their friends... Be reckless, be puffed up with pride. I got a sermon in this series that's going to be about being puffed up with pride. And love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, 
but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Acting religious is one thing. Being religious is something else. And then he says something that none of you want to obey. Stay away from them people. But they're my friend, they're my buddy, they're my pal, and yet some of your attitude come from them. Stay away from people like that. But I thought we were supposed to love everybody. You can love people from a distance. I love folks in Africa. I ain't going over there to tell them in person. They are the kind who work their way into people's homes and win the confidence of vulnerable women who are burdened with the guilt of sin. There is so much in that one sentence. There is so much in that sentence. And I would love to break it down, but I don't have time in this sermon. But listen to what he says again. They are the kind who work their way into people's homes and win the confidence of vulnerable women. And please, women, I know you strong, independent women don't need men. Listen to me. This is not a a knock against women. He's using an example because back then women were in the home and the men were out working. And they win the confidence of vulnerable women. And anybody can be vulnerable. It's not just a warning for women. Anybody can be vulnerable. Who are burdened with the guilt of sin and controlled by various desires. Do you, do you understand how those two work together? I don't have time. Uh, I don't have time to get into this. Do you understand how those work together? When you start feeling guilty about one sin, you go off the rails. Because, listen, these two things work together. Controlled by various desires. You have other desires that you would not submit to, but because you broke the ice and you sinned one time, now you feel guilty about giving in to that sin and now you're, you're vulnerable to give in to a whole. So, so, so I don't have time to preach that. We'll do that later in this series. Such women are forever following new teachings, but they are never to under, able to understand the truth. Uh-huh. Paul was letting Timothy know that, that what the world is going to look like in the last days. And I don't think anybody in this room would question that after 2,000 years, Paul was right. Was Paul telling the truth? Say yes if you believe that today is worse than it was then. Yeah, these are the signs of the last days. And things have gotten worse. What Paul is saying, and this is the first thing I want you to write down, it's important to be able to read the warning signs in order to be prepared for what's ahead. Yeah, It's important for you to be able to read the warning signs. So you can be prepared. You want to sign in the now. So you can tell what's to come in the then. You don't want to just aimlessly walk through this Christian walk. You want to be able to read the warning signs. Are you tracking me? So you are used to seeing warning signs. We've got some hanging here in the sanctuary. How about this one? It says, danger, do not enter. Have you ever saw one like this? Uh Uh-huh. You're used to that. How about this one? Danger, high voltage. Authorized personnel only. You're used to say, if you saw that, you would take that as what? A sign. I probably shouldn't grab my screwdriver and just stick in the first hole I see. (laughs) Right? Well, some of you are smart enough to know that. For the rest of you, consider this a, a, a warning sign from your pastor. How about this one? Slippery when... When wet, you may see this one again in this sermon series, and I'll be talking about this thing in your mouth. Because that's, 
you need a sign. Uh huh. How about bridge ices before the road? Here's one we're familiar with around here, right? I always wondered when I was a little kid and I didn't understand how thermodynamics and stuff work. I used to wonder, how does the bridge know? I did. I would question things like that. I'd see that sign and I'd be like, well, how does the bridge know that it's getting cold? But the road hadn't figured it out yet. And, and, then, and then I found some signs on the Internet that really makes me wonder how the human race is not extinct already. Like, like this one. Uh, Touching wires causes instant death. $200 fine. So are you sending them a bill after they're dead? I'm I'm not understanding. How about this one? Danger. Access may result in drowning and no drowning. (laughs) Here's the one that makes, <laughs> makes, me, makes me cringe every time somebody says they're going to do some work around their house. Danger. Do not hold the wrong end of the chainsaw. Well, that one didn't show up. Can we skip to the last one? Can you throw the last one up for me? This one uh, is, is found on a dryer. It says, high speed, high spin speeds. Do not put any person in this washer. Do, do not put any person in this washer. So your first load is whites, your second load is your little sister. How are we not extinct already? By the mercy of God, we're still here. The fact that we need that sign, the fact that we need one that says don't hold this end of the chainsaw, ensures that I will have job security until Jesus comes to take me home. Yeah. So what do we learn from this? Here's what we learn. Reading the signs correctly can save your life. Okay? Uh, okay. Uh, now, I grew up, I know most of you, if, if you're from this area originally, you grew up in what's known as steel country, but I grew up in coal country. Now, we were taught in, in West Virginia history a lot of things about coal mining, uh, especially in the early days. And one of the things in coal mines, uh, they were very unsafe, first of all. I know you think that they're unsafe today, but they were very unsafe back in the old days. And they used to put a canary in a cage. And they would take the canary underground into the mines. And they would watch the canary. There was a guy's job to watch the canary. Because if the canary died, they had to get out. Because when the canary died, that was a sign carbon monoxide was present. And it would kill the canary before it killed them. And hopefully, if they read the sign, they would escape to safety. But only if they read the signs. Uh-huh. Uh, I remember my dad, who was a coal miner. My f- grandfather retired as a coal miner. I can remember my grandfather telling stories to me about in the early days... But all the way back into the 1950s when he uh, was in the coal mines, that if they saw rats and birds leaving the, 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 the mine all at once, that was a sign that something was about to fall, and they all got out because somehow the birds and the rats could detect seismic shifts before the people could, and they would all evacuate. And they, if they saw all the wild animals leaving, that was a sign. So reading the signs correctly can save your life. 
If you ever join the military and they have you out on training, uh, they, they tell you to follow commands, not what you see. Because following commands can save your life. If somebody says duck, you don't need to say, well, why? Because you may get your head took off before you get the answer. You just need to learn to obey orders because it's a sign that you're in danger. And the only sign that will hurt you is the one you refuse to read and obey. So, so, so you need to be able to read the signs. Because when God began dealing with me about this series of sermon, I felt this desperate need to help some of you. Will, will you let me help you? Will you not get mad at me? Will you stick in here through this series no matter how tough it gets? Because I'm on a mission. i got to be honest with you. I love you enough to tell you the truth. I think most of you know that about me. I don't sugarcoat things. and I, just, I don't have that spiritual gift. Some people can make, if, if I want you to feel warm and fuzzy, I'll, I'll put my wife. Anytime you see my wife in the pulpit and I'm in town, you know that I feel like y'all need a warm and fuzzy. Because she can make you feel loved and petted down and stuff. And I just don't have that spiritual gift. I, I, I'm, I'm much more rough around the edges and I'm much more blunt with my delivery. But I really intently want to help you. Because I'm looking at people's lives. And one of these themes is going to be the only sign that will hurt you is the one that you refuse to read or obey. And I want to challenge you. That's why I'm asking you to stick in this sermon series with me because I want to challenge you in the way you're thinking about some stuff. I'm going to attack some of your thought patterns. Is that all right? Because some of you are about to make choices, and I want you to stop and ask yourself why. Why are you about to do the thing that you are choosing to do? Some of you are on the verge of quitting a job. Why are you about to do that? What has made that decision for you? Some of you, you may not even know it yet, but some of you are on the verge of, of completely destroying your marriage, your family relationship. I want you to stop and ask yourself, why? Why are you choosing to do that? Some of you are about to get involved in a relationship. And I want you to stop and ask yourself, why? What inspired you, number one, to make that choice? And what signs are you ignoring? What signs have you read but are refusing to obey? And why would you rather follow the urge of the flesh than the warning signs that God has put in your life? So I want you to, I want you to stick in here. I don't want to see the crowd start thinning down. Because the preaching's getting tough. Because I'm warning you now, this is your sign. It's going to get tough. Because I think you need tough love. I, I think this generation has been raised uh, on, on uh, too much uh, uh, tranquility and peace. And everything's going to be all right. And there, there, and now, now. And sometimes you need a sign. But you don't just need the sign. You need somebody to point the way. The Bible says you'll hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. And some of you have heard the voice, but you're not obeying. You've seen the signs, but you're not obeying. I want to change that about you, okay? So what we're going to do this week is we're going to look at, at something taken directly out of the warning signs that Paul gave Timothy. He says this in verse 1. You should know this, Timothy, in the last days will be very difficult times. People will love themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God. 
And by the way, this is not just the world. These are believers that are going to do this. They will consider nothing sacred. Oh, you want to go to church? Yeah, you know, I don't have nothing else to do today. We ain't got nowhere else to go. I might go to church tomorrow. Consider nothing sacred. When's the last time you prayed? Uh, you know, I don't know. The other day, I s- consider nothing sacred. Coming into God's presence, leaving God's presence, doing things outside the church that you know God's not pleased with, but you only get right on Sunday. Phil brought something to my attention. I preached several years ago. Uh, a while back, he texted me and said, do you remember preaching this in 2017? I said, I do. I was talking about the devil going to church, and I said, too many of us stay rapture ready for about 15 minutes. We care about others. We care about ourselves. We care about our des- eternal destination as long as there's a preacher in the pulpit. But then we go back out into the world and we ignore all the signs. And we just do whatever we want to do. Consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. Hello, Facebook. Well, it's in people. The reason America is the way it is. If you're a Christian, you shouldn't talk that way. And if you hear it in your head, it doesn't mean it has to come across your lips or your fingertips. <laughs> We're an ambassador for Christ. Before we are an American citizen that has to stand up for things. Yeah, you, they will slander others, have no self-control. This is, these aren't pleasing to God, by the way. These aren't spiritual gifts. None of you have been called into the ministry of slander. Boy, it's getting quiet in here already. This is going to be a tough sled for the next couple of months. They will be cruel and hate what is good. Mm-hmm. That's the generation we're living in right now. They will betray their friends, be reckless and be puffed up with pride, love pleasures rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that can make them godly. One of the toughest things about discipling people in 2023 is getting them to understand that most of the Bible is not written to goats trying to transform them into sheep. The Most of the New Testament is written to sheep saying, stop acting like goats. It is correction. The New Testament is not all about judge not. The New Testament is about get right. Do the right thing. Love mercy. Do justly. Do the right. Follow Christ. Take up your cross. Deny yourself. That's what the New Testament message is. And, it's, and at the root of most of our problems is that we got too many sheep that ignore the signs and they want to live close to the edge. Can I help you? Too many sheep think that they're too saved to ever be tempted. I'm going to talk a lot about temptation in this series, okay? Because I'm finding more and more people, the, the deeper this, this world gets into the last days, Christian people are almost as reckless as those in the world. There was a time in the church, some of you have been around longer than I have. Anybody that's been around at least as long as I have, you have seen the legalism of the church. You've seen how we used to think everything was wrong and everything was a sin. And we built these big high walls of legalism trying to keep the devil out, but we didn't realize that the devil will walk through the front door in the form of a religious spirit. He doesn't have to be kept out. He'll walk right. He'll, somebody will invite him to church and give him a ride. So legalism was not the answer. Can I, can I get that out of the way? Legalism was not the answer. Neither 
is having no restraint at all. And I feel like the pendulum has shifted from one extreme all the way to the other extreme to where now church people are just as reckless. It used to be ridiculous. And I, I, listen, I say that with all modesty because if, anybody, if I wanted anybody to pray for me, it was them old timers. I mean, they could pray. They could pray. If I was sick, I, my baby was sick, I'd want them old timers to pray. I want them old blue-haired grandmothers with their, bun up, with their hair done up in a bun and their sleeves. I want them people praying for me because they know how to get a hold of the altar of God. But we, we would force people to conform externally, and their hearts weren't changing. Do you understand what I'm saying? So all the rules didn't do any good because the, the soul was left unchanged. And, and, and so we, we dressed right, but we didn't talk right. And, and we had a look and a vibe, but, but it was just as inviting to demonic forces. Because the, listen, just because we shouted a lot on Sunday night doesn't mean the devil was intimidated. Because we were mistreating each other. And so what I want you to understand about this is, the world is going to live recklessly. That's what they do. They're sinners. They're lost. They have scales on their eyes and they don't believe what you believe. But the church has gotten so reckless that we no longer believe we can be tempted. And so we make all kinds of decisions and choices based on what we feel like what we want, what we desire, and we don't realize how close to the line we're getting because we're not listening to the signs. Matthew chapter 4 tells the story, and we're going to be dealing with this story a lot through this series. It's the story of Jesus in the wilderness being tempted by the devil. And, and listen, if Jesus can be tempted, Susie can tempt you. Billy can tempt you. If Jesus himself can be tempted, we will use his experience the next couple of weeks, maybe even the next uh, several times through this series, to learn how to best deal with temptation because we have to learn how to read the warning signs, okay? And everything about his experience will help us learn how to deal with the devil in our own lives. For instance, you got to know when, when temptation comes because you would think temptation comes when you have been out of church for a long time. Uh, when you have been weak for a long time. And it's true, temptation will be stronger then. But Jesus just finished his greatest public display of his ministerial calling. When Jesus was publicly ordained by heaven, the Bible says John the Baptist baptized him. When he came out of the water, the Spirit of God descended like a dove, landed on Jesus, filled Jesus with the Spirit, and his Father speaks from heaven and says, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. In other words, God just confirmed Jesus' ministry. It is Jesus' coming out party. This is his ordination ceremony. And immediately, the Bible says, the devil drove him into the wilderness where he fasted for 40 days. After he fasted for 40 days, that's when the devil came to tempt him. So in other words, church, you have to understand, the devil tempted Christ for one purpose. He wanted to defeat him from carrying out the will of God in his life. I'm going to let you all off the hook. None of you are Jesus. As such, you don't have to die for my sins. You don't even have to die for your sins. Jesus signed your pardon. And thank God that he sent Jesus. You don't have to be Jesus. You don't have to act like Jesus uh, in the sense that you don't have to pay for your own sacrifice. But Jesus is an example to us that everyone is going to be 
tempted. And the reason he tempted Jesus is the same reason he tempts you. He doesn't want you carrying out the will of God in your life. So let's talk about this a little bit. Number one, temptation is no respecter of persons. It's going to come. Look at your neighbor and say, it's coming for you. Yeah, yeah. Tell, tell your other neighbor, and you too. Yeah, yeah, just let, let them know. It's coming for you. Christ was tempted in every way, and yet Jesus was tempted at much greater levels than you ever will be. The devil is not going to offer you the kingdoms of the world. He doesn't have to. And by the way, Jesus was tempted one-on-one, face-to-face by Satan himself. The devil don't even get out of the bed in the morning to tempt y'all. Temptation. Jesus was tempted face-to-face, full-court press by the devil himself. The devil don't even have to get out of bed to tempt you and me. He just puts a bakery next door. He's, he's not tempting you the face to face. People say, well, the devil's after me. The devil ain't done it. it that, if you had the devil in your face, you'd have quit a long time ago. You can't even resist the flirty secretary at work. You can't resist the porn site on the internet. You can't resist shopping your feelings through Amazon from that hit of dopamine you get every time that smiley box shows up on your porch. You can't you can't resist talking about people. You can't resist putting people down. You can't resist having uh, yourself uh, having to defend yourself online. You're not fighting the devil. No, no, no. You're fighting something else. Let's, let's dig into it. Are you, are you mad at me yet? Well, hold on. It's coming. Uh, no one ever spiritually grows so much that they are exempt from temptation. Doesn't matter how long you're in church. It doesn't matter how many sermons you preach or how many scriptures you memorize. So the people that tell you that they never get tempted by anything, you know what their temptation is. Lying. Uh, uh, why, why am I about to say that? Because you have to understand what temptation is. It has two primary functions. Okay? Two. The, 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 two. And one you may overcome. The other one, you'll never overcome it as long as you're here. Let's talk about them. Two primary first. The first reason that you are tempted is trying to get you to sin. Does that sound simple enough? To entice you to sin. Here's what tempt means. To allure, to entice, or seduce. Mm, that sounds like something, don't it? To seduce. Okay, temptation. To allure, to, to entice, to seduce. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he said, say this, lead us not. Lead us not into temptation, right? That, that means don't let us be misled by the tempter, okay? Now, James, who is Jesus' brother, James tells us this. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor can he tempt anybody else. There's no evil in God. So there's nothing for the devil to grab hold to. And there's nothing for 
evil to find a place in. So God can't be tempted, nor could He ever lure you. So God, I, hear, I heard Christians say this before, God's tempting me. It's impossible. God can't tempt you, not to sin. Not to sin. He, he can't tempt you. And unless we understand what the real source of temptation is, we will never respond to it correctly. And that's what, I want to, that's what I want to teach you this morning, okay? Because if God is not to blame for your temptation, then who is? Well, it's easy to say, oh, it's the devil. And it's true. The devil has a part to play. Look what he did to Jesus. The, the devil has a part to play in your temptation. But often, you give the devil too much credit because you don't give yourself enough blame. Oh, you ought to just write that down and just tweet that out all over the universe. Because according to James, hmm, there has to be something in me before the Satan, before Satan can tempt me. Besides declaring that every person is responsible for his own temptation, James is careful to point out that temptation is not an event. Temptation is a process. Okay, Where, what is the process, Pastor? I'm glad you asked. Because the only place in the whole Bible that tells you what the process of temptation is, is the book of James. James is Jesus' brother. He's, so James gives us the process of temptation. And he gives it in James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Here's what he says. Temptation comes from our devilish desires. It doesn't say that, does it? Doesn't say it comes from hell, does it? What, whose desires does it say it comes from? Our own desires. Now, when dramas were a big thing in church, all the youth groups used to do dramas in church. If you, if you haven't been in church very long, you may not know this, or if you came from another denomination, kids' drama teams that used to be everywhere. And there was always... There was always one drama that every drama team had where the demons would come out and grab the, the person that was trying to become a Christian and drag the kid away, and Jesus would come and set the, break the chains and set the shackles free and set the kid free, and everybody would clap. And Yeah, can I tell you that it ain't the devil's dragging you away? This verse said, our own desires entice us and drag us away. The devil don't drag you out of church. You didn't read the warning signs. The devil didn't split up your marriage. Somebody didn't read the warning signs. The, the devil didn't cause you to say anything. Well, the devil made me do it. You and Flip Wilson both are wrong. The devil didn't make you do anything. It was your own. Listen to what he says. And verse 15 says, those desires give birth to sinful actions. So your desires first drag you away. And then, they give birth to sinful action. And when sin's allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. There's two births just took place in one verse. Two births just happened in the Spirit. And... And Paul says if we don't want Satan to take advantage of us, we, we can't be ignorant of the devil's devices. That's, that's what he tells us. So, so everybody say desire. Okay, now, now say deception. Now say disobedience. 
Now say death. Okay, so James 1 verses 14 and 15 just gave us those four things. Here's what he says. He said the first thing is there's a desire in you. It's bait. It's bait. Why do you use a worm on a hook to do two things? To get the fish enticed from wherever it is in safety to ignore the signs. What's that fish thinking? Huh, there's a worm in the water just floating around. Lucky day. The first thing that you use a worm for is to entice the fish to move. The second thing is to hide the hook. That same bait is inside. Y'all not going to help me. See, see, see here's the way y'all think. Y'all think that is the bait. This is the magnet. This is the thing I can't resist. You think this is the temptation. But let me show you something. You want this, Amanda? No, no, no. Do, you, do you want it? You don't want it because you don't like it. If this was the magnet drawing humanity to sin, it would entice every person in this room. But I could leave that there and most of you would walk by it and never be enticed by it. But some of us, Some of us are going to say, Pastor, you going to finish that donut? Because some of us are drawn to that. Some of us, this is bait. And some of us can resist it. But make no mistake, there's a magnet in you drawn to something. So excuse me if I get on your sensibilities just a little bit when I'm talking about desire because most of the church world that I have been exposed to is judging other people because they're attracted to things that you don't happen to be attracted to. So I want to look down my long religious nose at drug addicts because their magnet is attracted to heroin. I don't have that problem. But I shouldn't judge them because they sin differently than I do. And while I'm on the subject, why don't we just talk about people that's attracted to same sex or people that's got some other kind of sexual perversion? Yes, they're wrong, but do you know that that magnet ain't inside of me? In no way, shape, or form. Let's just get that out there in the open so y'all, y'all run tell that. That is not a temptation to me. No magnet inside of me is drawn to Scott. Not today, not yesterday, and forever. I'm steadfast, unmovable, and unshakable in my faith when I say that. Ain't even a little part of me that feels that way. But there are people that's got that in. I have things in me that they don't deal with. I have bait, I have a magnet, I have an attraction, but what you need to understand from this sermon so that we can go forward in this message and the ones to come is that's not the magnet. The magnet is inside of me. And it finds the thing that it's attracted to. And it, did you read what James said? It drags you. 
it drags you away. So that is desire. Now look what James says. That leads to deception. Because in order for you to bite the hook, you got to lie to yourself and tell you there ain't no hook in there. So desire leads to deception. You have to start lying to yourself and say, well, I'll start my diet tomorrow. <laughs> Tomorrow's always the best day to start a diet. It's the greatest day to start a diet tomorrow. And when tomorrow gets here, I'll do it tomorrow. It's the best day to start a diet because that means I can eat a donut today. And, and, and you feel that way. In order for you to take the bait and entice, be drug away by it, you have to lie to yourself and tell yourself there is no hook in that thing. So, so, so we are simply deceived into believing that there's no danger because we refuse to read the warning signs. Why is that worm in here? There wasn't a worm here a few minutes ago. Well, I might as well. Now, listen to what he says. That results, you have a desire. That's bait. Say bait. And bait teams up with deception. And they have a baby called disobedience. So the bait that was inside of you, the, the, the magnet drawing you, dragging you away, it hooks up with your lies to yourself. You forget to read the warning signs. And then they have a baby called disobedience. After sin or desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. Now, now we got another problem. Because sin, the Bible says, when it is fully mature, when it's fully grown, it has a baby. And that baby is death. And some of you have been fooled for a long time, and that's why you keep messing around with temptation. Can I help you? I know somebody wants this, so after a while it can be yours. We'll give that away as a door prize. Can I help you? Many of you are messing around with temptation because you had that baby a long time ago and nothing died. Listen to what James says. He said, you have a desire. That desire leads to deception. If you don't deal with it, if you allow that thing to drag you into... Can't, can I go there? I know i got some young people in the room. I'm trying to be real, trying to be real diplomatic here. Listen. There is a right person, a right place, and a right time that will all get you in trouble. Your job is to never be in the same place with all three of them when they merge together. That's your job. There is a person, there is a place, and there is a time. And if you are with them all at the same time, you're going to make bad decisions. Whether that decision ends up with a needle in your arm or you end up in the wrong bedroom or, or you end up robbing a bank, whatever it is, there is the temptation inside of you. Whatever yours is. And I don't know what it is, but you know who does? The enemy knows what to send your way. He's not having Scott wink at me. It won't do no good. I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. The devil is a lie. <laughs> Michelle said, me too. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. So he's not going to send things to me that's not going to entice me to drag me away. Now, so you've got that desire. Once that desire meets, 
you wanting it bad enough that you start lying to yourself that there's no hook in that. Now, now what's the problem? Now you're having a baby called sin. So deception and desire led to dysfunction. It, it, it led to disobedience. It led to sin. And now you've got sin in your life that you instigated. It wasn't the devil. That temptation was inside. And finally it ends in death. And some of you are still messing around with temptation because you've done this over and over and over again and you had that baby and nothing died. And you think you're immune. But make no mistake. Please stop justifying your problem and confusing God's grace with God's permission. This is your sign. This is your sign because you did that thing, you crossed that line, you committed that sin, and you didn't die, and now you think that death is not the inevitable result. Uh, it's not the birth that's going to happen in your life. But can I tell you that just because God's not judging your sin yet, doesn't mean He won't inevitably judge your sin. So every one of us have sinned and God did not strike us dead at that very moment. Thank God. But that is not permission to keep on sinning. And if you want to handle temptation successfully, you got to take a good, long look at what's causing it. Analyze it. Look at it. What is causing you to fall into that temptation? What is it? Because it's something inside of you. It began as a desire in you. I, got a, I, I made a comment a while ago, and I'm about to wrap this thing up, that, that we're missing lessons that a lot of us learn from old TV shows. And I want to show you one right now. Well, Sheriff, uh, it's an honor. Where's Opie? He's in school. Drag up something and sit down. Making a new fish lure. I gave the other one I had to open. Yeah, he showed it to me when he told me about the chicken dinner. Well, that, uh, yeah, too bad about that poor bird. Run down the middle of the road by a new sports car. <laughs> I tried to get the license number, but uh, you understand all that dust and everything. What run over the pie? Hi, <laughs> was uh, the pie. Well, that's not why I'm here. Good. It's about Opie. Something wrong? Yeah, there's something wrong. You ate too much? No, it goes a little deeper than that. Well, uh, what is it? You know, I've grown awful fond of that young fellow. What's wrong? Well, there seems to be something wrong with his thinking. He's gotten a little twisted on things lately. Like being able to tell the difference between right and wrong. Oh. Not that that's an easy thing. A lot of grown-ups still struggling with that same problem. But it's especially difficult for a youngster. Because things rub off on him so easy. I see. You're suggesting that maybe I'm not fit company for Opie? That would seem to be the case. Well, Sheriff, maybe I do look at things differently than other people. Is that wrong? I live by my wits. I'm not above bending the law now and then to keep clothes on my back or food in my stomach. I live the kind of life that other people would just love to live if they only had the courage. 
Who's to say that the boy would be happier your way or mine? Why not let him decide? Now, I'm afraid it don't work that way. You can't let a young'un decide for himself. He'll grab at the first flashy thing with shiny ribbons on him. Then when he finds out there's a hook in it, it's too late. Wrong ideas come packaged with so much glitter, it's hard to convince them that other things might be better in the long run. And all a parent can do is say, wait, trust me, and try to keep temptation away. Yeah. See, these are the kind of messages that we used to get regularly from television programs. And this generation don't know anything about waiting, resisting, holding off, making better choices and decisions. We're surrounded in this atmosphere. We do want to grab the first thing that looks good. We do, and, and we'll even blame God for it. We'll say, well, God brought them my way. Really? He, he brought you somebody to, to date that don't even love him and go to his house. He won't violate his word to make you have a date Friday night. That's not the way this works. We don't, we don't get to put him in the compromised position where we say, well, if God didn't want me to have it, he wouldn't have gave it to me. Because God didn't give it to you. There's another force in your life. And it's going to put everything that you're drawn to in your vision trying to get you to miss the will of God in your life. Peter knew it. First Peter chapter 5 verses 8 and 9. Peter knew it. He said, be sober. Stay, stay, stay alert. Be, be vigilant. Watch out. King James says, be sober. This is stay alert. King James says, be vigilant. This is watch out. Because your great enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. Mm. Seeking, looking for somebody to eat up, to devour. Do you see his intention for your life? Now, if he showed up in your life, like we used to see in the Bugs Bunny cartoons when we were little, red union suit with a pitchfork and a tail, two little beady horns on his head, you'd say, no thank you, devil. Not today. And you would leave there feeling like a spiritual giant. Boy, I just whooped the devil. I resisted the devil and he fleed from me. You'd come to church and want to testify. Problem is, that's not how the devil shows up. Not in your life, not in mine. He shows up looking exactly like the thing you want. The thing you've prayed for. The thing you've asked God for. That's how the devil shows up. Like a roaring lion seeking somebody to devour. Now, I don't know a whole lot about lions. I don't know a whole lot about handling lions. I know during the pandemic there was this Netflix series. I didn't watch it, but it was about some guy that had a mullet and he was a tiger trainer or something. I, I, I don't know anything about tigers. I do know something about mullets. And the rednecks that usually wear them, because I was one, and we don't always be accused of making the greatest decisions in life. So I'm not sure that anybody sporting one of them should be handling them kind of cats. It's probably not safe. Here, watch this. 
is the famous last words of a fool where I come from. I don't know anything about handling a lion, but I do know that lions don't leave much meat left on the bone. They want to devour you. Verse 9 says, you have to stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Did you, did you, did you catch that? you got to stand firm. You, 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 can't, you can't give in to temptation. This thing's inside of you, and it's always going to be inside of you. Whatever that thing is that draws you, whatever that, that temptation is, it's always going to be there. But you have to stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind. And the reason Peter said that was there's other people that's faced this temptation and overcome it. And if they did it, you can do it. And it was Martin Luther who said this. I told you my sermon title would make no sense to the end. Martin Luther said this. Lions come over the fence where the fence is the lowest. Where's your weak spot? Where's your weak spot? Temptation is to do two things. One, to get you to sin. The other is to make you lose your faith. I didn't even get to that part in the outline. That's the two things that temptation comes to do. And you're going to fight that the rest of your Christian walk. He's always going to try, be trying to devour you and devour your faith and get you to leave. Prayer don't even work. I've been going to church for years, and look how, what a wreck my life is. I, I've, been, I've been going through uh, tough times, and God hasn't helped me. You know what that is? That's temptation for you to give up your faith. That's the other reason temptation comes. It comes to get you to, to sin, and if he can't get you to sin, then he tries to get you to quit. And you have to be able to read the warning signs that there's a devil on the loose. There's a lion on the loose. And I'm giving you your first sign of this series. Low fences let lions loose. Some of you know what your temptation is. I don't want you to be the first person here because I know some of you are going to be resistant to come. So, Jessica, if you and your prayer team, just the prayer team, if, if you guys would come up here. I don't want you to be, I don't want to ask you to be the first person here. I want you to feel like you're, you're meeting somebody here because what I'm about to ask you to do is going to take guts. This is the prayer team. They're, they're mobilized to help pray for you. Some of you are about to get devoured by a lion because you have let your fence get too low in some area. And I don't know where it is. I mean, I could ask for a word of knowledge. It's happened before, and God start reading your mail in front of everybody, but I really don't really like to do that to people. He has given me that spiritual gift in times past when people are being what my mama called hard-headed. But some of you have low fences. You know when you go to that person's house. As a matter of fact, you didn't got to go to their house. You know when that number pops up on your phone. That's your low point. That's your temptation. Some of you have given your temptation your phone number. And you, you're not strong enough to block them. Some of you have given your temptation a spot in your liquor cabinet. And you're not strong enough to pour it out. Some of you have given your temptation a place for their toothbrush on your nightstand and you're not strong enough to tell them 
This ain't pleasing to the Lord. We need to make some changes in this relationship. So I'm not going to linger. But some of you with low fences, you've been given into desires. Those desires have developed into sinful acts. I'm warning you, under the, under the anointing of God, I'm warning you, all of those things eventually give birth to death. And it may not be the death of your body, it may not be the death of your salvation, but it will be the death of a relationship, it'll be the death of your faith, it'll be death of your prayer life. Something will die because you can't escape the truth of this scripture. So if you're tired of things dying in your life, let's make a change. Let's build some high fences this morning. Let's get over this temptation. It's always going to be there, but we're going we're to get strong enough to resist it. Because, God, I want you more than I want this thing. I, I want you. My desire for you is more than my desire for this thing that I have let my fence down for. And so you have allowed your fences to get too low, and you know it. Some of you have almost given up and this was the last church service you were going to try. You've got to get to this altar. And you've got to raise your fences. This prayer team's going to help you pray. They're going to, they're going to spread out. They're going to mobilize. And they're going to look you in the eye. And they're going to tell you that you can, you can have a higher fence today. They're going to help you pray for your fence to get stronger, to get taller. So don't wait any longer. If this is you, Find your way to this altar this morning. Get up there.